0: Log Talk Radio
1: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Green Magic
2: Forbidden Archaeology Forgotten History Divination Magic Cryptozoology UFOs Nature Science and Spirit All this and more, right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network.
1: Okay, everyone, the buttons are moving a little slow. And what we're going to do is just go into what the evening's show will be about. This show song came on it wasn't supposed to (laughs) oh it's a fantastic technology night this evening anyway this is one where susan in part was discussing darkness and light and what effect it has on the human psyche so part of herbal medicine or alternative medicine or whatever terms people want to use whatever terminology you're comfortable with is there are many modalities of healing and then there's a psychology of healing. And I think this plays a little bit into that and she starts talking a little bit about darkness and light.
0: Hey, it's Flo and this is my impression of a beat poet. Name, name your, name your price. Ah. A tool, an idea, an inspiration to do more than just say what you want to pay. Oh, no, but to see the options that could fit your
1: budget.
0: Steve, Steve, enough bongos.
1: Find car insurance that fits your budget at Progressive.com.
0: Makes me want to dance.
3: Steve! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: Block Talk Radio.
1: Hello everyone, my name is Daniel Michael, the founder and co-creator of the Main Street Universe Radio Network, and welcome to another episode of Green Magic, Green Medicine, with your host, Susan Weed. We'll be back right after this. Join us.
2: Forbidden archaeology. Forgotten history. Divination. Magic. Cryptozoology. UFOs. Nature science, and spirit. All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network.
0: Slippy Blessed are we in the awakening dawn. Blessed are we in the morning. Blessed. Are we in the morning.
1: You are listening to Main Street Universe, the show and network reminding you that the mysteries and possibilities of the universe are closer to Main Street than you may have ever imagined. Well, welcome everyone to Green Magic, Green Medicine with your host, Miss Susan Weed. And I accidentally hit the wrong uh, button there, but it pretty much matched. We are on the Main Street University Radio Network, <laughs> so we were close. Anyhow... I see she is in the queue. I'm going to go ahead and turn her microphone on. And welcome, <laughs> Susan.
3: Yeah, I like that. I thought that was a little unusual. I said, oh, I haven't heard that before.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was actually <laughs> one that we took. The wrong <laughs> button.
3: Okay.
1: But it worked, because it said, you know. Sure, <laughs> except for I normally meant it for the Wednesday show, but that's okay. It's actually a tiny piece of a song from our band with me talking over it in the studio. So. <laughs> oh.
3: Aha. Uh-huh. Oh, interesting. Okay.
1: Hmm. So have you been, have you well, been going like through it. an apocalypse like uh, here in Virginia?
3: Well, you know, the storm just like died about 15 miles south of us, and we there's not a flake on the ground where I live.
1: Oh, okay. Well, I didn't know if you were going to that. I know. It's to how you
3: believe. Everybody <laughs> south of us is just buried. I mean, even 50 miles south of us, there was a ton of snow, but uh, no, right where I am is actually snow-free, and it's sad, because my granddaughter is flying all the way here from Costa Rica to be in the snow and play in the snow, and we don't have any snow for her.
1: Oh, my gosh.
3: (laughs) It's so sad. We have to take her down to New York City for there to be snow, right?
1: That's right. <coughs> about, um,
3: <coughs> How funny is that? We have to leave the country and go to the city for the snow.
1: Right. It's usually a little warmer in cities. And
3: yeah, but they got such a huge amount of snow that it's still laying around there.
1: Oh, wait, like, so I, We got, have it um, about thigh high right here in Virginia, except for the roads. It is a little warmer down here. So there's people. It's a strange sight. There's people sh- shoveling snow in short sleeve shirts. You know, because it got up to like ah. 45 or something. <laughs> that <minutes>. is funny. <laughs> uh,
3: so that's a little unusual for you all. You usually don't get that much snow.
1: No, we get we get plenty of cold enough, and I, I actually kind of like winter when it's not brutal, brutal like in the negative 20s winter. Uh, I like the quietness of winter. I love the quietness of, you know, some snow days off and that sort of what I call uh the dark uh we, we talked about the before the wisdom of darkness, right? The uh, the, the darkness of yeah. the break, the and in the womb and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes and I did a lot of that during cause I couldn't even go to my little job. Uh, reasonably, you know, there, there wasn't any reason to. There was no customers. <laughs> right, Exactly. The, <laughs> people around here, when it goes, well, like, oh my God, i got to buy said, 100 cars a day. This was really the perfect players. storm
3: for us. Because everybody took the time off. We got all of that, but we didn't have to deal with the snow. Mm. Which can be great. Because, of course, everybody expected to get huge amounts of snow. So they tell people to stay off the roads and they closed everything.
0: Yeah.
3: So got very, very nicely. Except I do miss the snow. Ah, uh, well. Another thing that snow tends to bring us that we have talked about now and then are viruses mm. and colds and flus and often in cold and flu season, people, when they get sick, are given a prescription by their doctor for antibiotics. Mm-hmm. And I was talking about a book by Stephen Booner, Stephen Herod Booner, B-U-H-N-E-R, called... Herbal Antibiotics And I thought that The information in this book Is so important That I wanted to <clears throat> Spend some time in Just reading to you A little bit of the Remarkable information That Stephen has brought together In this book <clears throat> You know I follow a very much kind of the the arc of what he he t- talks about the chapter one is the end of antibiotics and he uh, talks about how um we thought that it was the end of disease. Right. The excitement over the discovery and successful use of antibiotics was so strong in the late fifties and early sixties that many physicians claimed the end for all time of epidemic disease. The Australian physician and Nobel laureate, Sir McFarlane, said, by the end of the 20th century, humanity will see the virtual elimination of infectious disease as a significant factor in life. <clears throat> I was born in 1946. It was uh, as I was coming of age then, in the, the mid 50s to early 60s, that that drugs, antibiotics were saving the world. We we have we have these incredible miracle drugs. This is where the term miracle drug was was coined to describe these amazing antibiotic substances. Now anti. As we know, means against, and bios, or biotic, is life. life. So antibiotics literally mean against life. And, in fact, antibiotics are against life. They are so against life that they themselves, are virtually indestructible. Antibiotics remain intact in the environment unless they are destroyed by extremely high temperatures or physical damage such as ultraviolet light. What am I saying? What is Stephen Herod Booner saying? He is saying that antibiotics are excreted in their millions of pounds, from millions of patients each year, as well as expired antibiotics, which are thrown into the garbage, and they all end up in the environment, especially in water, where they may then travel to treatment plants and pass relatively unchanged into the world's water supplies. From that first antibiotic in 1942, the world's entire supply of penicillin was a mere 64 pounds. From that first antibiotic to now, listen to what has happened. 1942, 64 pounds penicillin. 1949, 156,000 pounds. Of penicillin and a new antibiotic, streptomycin. Mm. 1999. 40 million pounds of scores of antibiotics produced for people, livestock, research, and agriculture. 2009. 60 million pounds per year of antibiotics being used in the USA and scores of millions of pounds more by other countries around the world. Nearly 30 million pounds of antibiotics are used in the United States solely on animals that are raised for human consumption. 30 million pounds of antibiotics used per year, year in and year out. Epidemiologist and veterinarian Wendy Powell of the Canadian Food Inspection Agency comments, in 1991, 1991 that's what, 10, 20, 25 years ago, 20, 30 years ago, a long time ago, in 1991, there were more than 50 penicillins, 70 cephalosporins, 12 tetracyclines, 8 aminoglycosides, 1 monobactin, 3 carpapenins, 9 macrolides, 2 nistreptomyosins, and 3 dihydrofolate reductase inhibitors. None of these antibiotics ever go away. The worldwide environmental dumping over the past 65 years of synthetic antibiotics has initiated the most pervasive impact on the Earth's biological underpinnings since oxygen-generating bacteria supplanted methamogens two and a half billion years ago. The evolutionary changes that we are causing by the dumping And taking of antibiotics is unparalleled in recorded biological history. This is not Stephen talking, this is me now. Forget saving endangered species. We are endangering it all by our use of antibiotics and not just our overuse of antibiotics. Dr. Fleming noted, as early as Dr. Fleming Alexander Fleming, the discoverer of penicillin. Dr. Fleming noted as early as 1929, that numerous bacteria were already resistant to the new drug he'd discovered, and in a 1945 New York Times interview, he warned improper use of penicillin would inevitably lead to the development of resistant bacteria making penicillin useless. At the time of that interview just 14% of Staphylococcus aureus bacteria was resistant to penicillin. Uh, 10 years later as the use of penicillin became widespread 64 to 80% of the bacteria Streptococcus had become resistant and resistant to tetracycline and erythromycin as well. In 1995 90 5% of all staff was resistant to penicillin. By 1999, 54 years after the commercial production of antibiotics, the first staph strain resistant to all clinical antibiotics infected and killed three people. By 1997, 3 million people a year in the United States were being admitted to hospitals with difficult-to-treat antibiotic-resistant bacterial infections. The Centers for Disease Control, CDC, estimated in 2002 that 1.7 million Americans were becoming infected with antibiotic-resistant infections while having treatments or visiting Hospitals, and that more than 100,000 people were estimated to be dying after contracting a resistant infection in a hospital. The number of people who die from hospital-acquired infections is unquestionably much higher now <clears throat> than it was when these figures were generated. And it is probably closer to a quarter of a million people a year now being killed by antibiotic-resistant infections. In fact, hospital-acquired resistant infections is the fourth leading cause of death in the United States, even by the most conservative estimates. Pathologist and researcher Mark Lapay declared in his books, When Antibiotics Fail, the period once euphemistically called the age of miracle drugs is dead. Uh, pretty amazing huh
1: it is and so I know and, and of course a lot of this sounds very doom like because so many people are now I don't even remember the last time I've taken an antibiotic I have but it's been a long time and it was before I was in the natural medicine world and even some of those products are a bit drug-like themselves. I understand that, and I know that's your point of view on on uh, some of those well, things. Well,
3: what I what I, this book is saying, and what I really think we need to understand is, yeah. it doesn't really matter whether I take antibiotics or you take antibiotics.
1: We're all yeah. taking antibiotics. Right, right. It, it, they're happening anyway. They're they're getting they're into there, us.
3: They're there. They're in things, and there 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 is a way out. And that way out is something that Stanley Fallon and I proposed 10 years ago and we we're my so question, thrilled I was going to my so question. many people picking up on it <laughs> which is go to your butcher and ask for meat that's raised without antibiotics and without hormones. hmm Demand uh, antibiotic free meat and now in every supermarket I go into I find not just one but three or four or five different choices of antibiotic free meat.
1: Yeah.
3: This is in fact, it's going to make a lot more difference. Eating meat, this antibiotic free, is going to make far more difference than not taking antibiotics yourself.
1: Because then you're in the, the market.
3: Yeah, one of the – Stephen goes on. One of the earlier pioneers in antibiotic resistance is Stuart Levy. He runs the Levy Lab at the Center for Adaption, Genetics, and Drug Resistance at Tufts University School of Medicine. He took six groups of chickens and put them 50 to a cage. And so he had six cages with 50 in a cage. Four of the cages were in a barn and two were just outside the barn. Half the chickens received food containing subtherapeutic doses of oxytetracycline. So what that means is they were getting just a tiny bit in their food, and that's two of the cages in the barn and one of the cages outside were receiving these tiny little bits of antibiotics. And this is not <clears throat> some odd mixture that they had to make up themselves. This is standard fare for animals. You go out to buy feed, you have to specify antibiotic feed for your animals because most feed, especially for young animals, comes with antibiotic in it. When I've raised young animals, I've had to create my own feeds because I won't feed my young animals antibiotic-rich. so feeds that have any antibiotics at all. Okay. Within 24 to 36 hours after eating the first batch of antibiotic-containing food, the feces of the dosed chickens showed E. coli that were resistant to antibiotics. And soon, the undosed chickens also had E. coli in their feces that were resistant to tetracycline. By the end of three months, the E. coli of All the chickens was not just resistant to E. coli and to the tetracycline, but to ampicillin, streptomycin, and sulfonamides, even though the chickens had not been fed these drugs. At the end of five months, the feces of the nearby farm family who had had no contact at all with the chickens, they hadn't eaten their eggs, they hadn't eaten the chickens, they hadn't fed them, watered them, they hadn't touched them, petted them anything at all, those people's feces contained bacteria resistant to tetracycline. By the sixth month, the people had E. coli in their feces. They were resistant to five other antibiotics. A similar but longer study in Germany found this resistance moved into the surrounding community taking Two years. Does it matter if I take antibiotics or not? Does it matter if you take antibiotics or not? It doesn't, does it?
1: Mm. No, Perry, no.
3: What matters is that we need to stop giving antibiotics to our animals. Yes. Because the antibiotics move through the animal's bodies. Salmonella is now genetically lodged in the ovaries and thus the eggs that come from them of most agribusiness chickens. And this salmonella can survive refrigeration boiling and frying. In fact, to kill salmonella bacteria in an egg from an agribusiness farm, you must boil it for nine minutes or longer. Listeria has now adapted so that it can survive in deli meat that is refrigerated. E. coli has now been found in both orange juice and apple juice, two acidic mediums that previously killed it. And a study in 2011 found 50% of all store bought meat and poultry were contaminated with staff and half of the staff were resistant antibiotic resistant strains pretty amazing huh
1: yes and also because we're coming down to about 6 minutes i'd like a little bit of hope here <laughs> what well, i mean by we, we know what part of the answer is, you know, you and I, and many of the listeners. What I mean is, in an herbal way, what's uh, what's a better way to well, kill again, negative you know, bacteria, for example? Herbal
3: things are individual, and it treats, you know, individual causes and individual people, right. and I'm all for that. And this, and this book by Stephen Booner is all for that, too. It's Herbal Antibiotics. Natural Alternatives for Treating Drug Resistant Bacteria. You can get it at your favorite bookseller. You can get it at my website, wisewomanbookshop.com. Herbal antibiotics by Stephen Booner. And I'm just, you know, I'm just reading to you like from the first 20 pages. And Uh, this is a huge, let's see, this book is, what's the last page number here? 458. And it. this is just chapter one, the end of antibiotics, and then the resistant organisms, diseases they cause and how to treat them, and then herbal antibiotics in general. And then he breaks herbal antibiotics into three different groups, the systemics, the localized non-systemics, and the synergists. And then he has a whole chapter about strengthening the immune system.
1: Of course, yeah. The immune system is so vital, and that's, that can take care of so many things. One natural herbal antibiotic that I've had great success with is is uh, using oregano, but other people might have something different, but when I use oregano uh, tincture oil uh, uh, properly, it's kind of knocks a lot of stuff out, if I have some kind of thing um,
3: going So tell me about the oregano, it's oregano tincture, or oregano essential oil?
1: Um, I've used... Both, I think, Uh, one was a kind of a blend and more of in a tincture or a blend form. So, where the the essential oil wasn't as harsh,
3: as was in it. Essential Uh, oils are the same as drug antibiotics because they be a resistance, and they are not safe for us. And of course, Stephen does not include them here because they're not herbs.
1: Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And I know you're not as fond of the oils. <laughs> um, well, it's not that I'm not fond of them. I'm f- fond of
3: everything. Drugs have <laughs> their place. As cockroaches have their place. Hmm. But I'm going to use them last.
1: Right, and now I, I was using. It in and,
3: and I, in fact, personally, and I have said this for a great many years, I am far more comfortable taking. An antibiotic should the need come to that, then I would be taking oregano oil or golden seal.
1: Oh, okay. Now you mean not in uh, less damage to my or... body and less
3: damage to the environment overall. Right. My taking an antibiotic is literally a drop in the bucket to thirty million pounds of antibiotics fed to animals every year.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Man,
3: what? I totally what is? It, me is nothing compared to what's coming in through water, through food that I eat, and so on. And I don't eat a lot of commercial food, but I am not kidding myself that even animals who aren't fed antibiotics nonetheless are passing antibiotic-resistant bacteria on because we can see from the example of what happened on the farm, half the chicken were fed antibiotics, the others weren't. They're antibiotic-free chickens, and yet they had the resistant bacteria, too. Oh, yeah. The family who had no contact at all with the animals wound up with resistant bacteria in their gut. So whether or not I personally take an antibiotic, I don't think really matters. In my short-term health or in the long-term health of the environment, And my short-term health would be far worse served by using oregano oil than using an antibiotic.
1: Okay. Oregano oil destroys the immune immune system. My first thing changes changes
3: the hormonal system. It degrades mitochondria. It reduces telomere length. Essential oils are a nightmare and a horror for the body.
1: Yeah, not meant to be taken internally, but so many. And, uh, and I just want to clear the record that um, if you put them on most of the time, I think, is immune. If
3: you breathe it, it's taking it internally.
1: Yeah, well, I guess it's that, too.
3: <laughs> There's no way around it. They're essential oils. They enter your bloodstream through your lungs, through your skin, through your mucosal surfaces. If you put them between your legs, under your arms, in your mouth, around your eyes, they're in your bloodstream.
1: Yep, it goes through the skin.
3: If you brush your teeth with a toothpaste that has essential oil, if you rinse your mouth with a mouthwash that has essential oil, if you wash your hair with a shampoo that has essential oil, yep. I wouldn't wash my hair, brush my teeth, or rinse my mouth with things that had antibiotics in them, and yet many people do that. Essential oils are antibiotics. They are, to my mind, worse <clears throat> than drug antibiotics, and yes, bacteria can become resistant to them. Not as easily, but very quickly, nonetheless. So Stephen yeah. goes into a lot of specific herbs. One of the herbs that I saw once again when I was in Costa Rica was Sida, S-I-D-A. It's in the hibiscus family, the mallow family. And it's a really common weed all through the tropics and subtropics. It's sometimes called strongback. It's got a wee little yellow flower. looks like a hibiscus. You kind of have to use a magnifying glass sometimes to really see it. And where I saw it in Costa Rica, and I was pointing it out to the students, and I said, oh, look, you know, uh, this is called stromback. And the person where I was said, that's called broomweed. And apparently all over the world, in addition to being used um, and being pointed out by Stephen as a great herbal antibiotic, it is used for a long time lasting broom so how about when we come back next week we get into some of these plants that steven is talking about and let's talk about them and see you know how can we use them how can we have them available to us and for many of these things are things we need to think about beforehand we need to get the tinctures like an echinacea tincture i like it to sit for a year before i use it so we need to have some some forethought about these So shall we begin that discussion next week and carry on for as long as we're interested?
1: I think it's great, and I'm actually very passionate about this discussion, and I know your time is limited, but I just also wanted to clear the record of saying, yeah, because at a time when I first got into natural medicine, like so many people, it was one side of it, the supplements, the oils, whatever, the really strong stuff. Uh, And there's other ways of doing it. Now it's more for me immune boosters. In the form of of what I would say more natural things, like you mentioned before, uh, elderberry and things like that, and all the things that are nice immune boosters that get that that just make your immune system stronger, which is always a great place to start. But I would say I've had success on the other, but but those were also emergency situations. You know, the preparation, like you said, begin to prepare with the good tinctures, the good teas, the good infusions, and all of that. So I just wanted to clarify that.
3: (laughs) I'm so glad you did. It's so wonderful. Thank you so much for giving me this space and talking with me and and bringing um, all this wild and woolly stuff to Main Street.
1: Oh, yeah, and it's such a learning experience because I I learn something every week. I learn something even at my health food store job all the time. I just learn... So much all the time in this in this field, and and I know you're in the very natural camp of the infusions. And, and trust me, it, especially when I see people, they come into the store, and I know they don't have that much money. And you know, if they if we have the hibiscus flower in the in the back, you know, I'm not going to point them to the high end, I guess whatever supplement. Uh, hope my boss isn't listening, <laughs> but uh, but the idea is to help people, if you can make a strong uh, tea or tincture of hibiscus three times a day, better than like we had for the last, that's what we were talking about last episode I think uh, it's better than any of the medications out there and that's what, what, it's, what it's all about to me Is
3: uh, exactly, and the herb I was talking about the broomweed, the strongback sea duck is in that family, in the same family that hibiscus is, so it makes me wonder if hibiscus doesn't have some antibiotic qualities
0: as well
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, well. my friend Larry, who by the way, is the mother's work. Just brief, and I'll let you go right here. I know I want to know your time. Um, it's been working for him, and he's off of his. Uh, he's just been doing a mother's work tincture, you know. And, um, and I, you mentioned it on your show, and he's going to. He's also going to add the to the tea soon, but he says he's off of the medication, and he's been on it for a long time. So he's been adding a mother's work tincture a few times a day and such, and he says it's gotten him off the. Uh, blood pressure uh pressure medication so and that he feels good and his numbers are good, so Oh right. You.
3: Hooray. Yay. Green blessings are everywhere.
1: Yes. Yes.
3: Yes. Herbal medicine's the medicine right outside your door. It's people's medicine. Thanks so
1: much. Green blessings. Alright, thanks Susan. And good have night. a great Yeah, we'll continue this next week. We'll talk about natural yes. herbal talking about
3: herbal antibiotics and yes.
1: That would be a good conversation. All right. That's one we hear all the time. Anyway, thank you again. I'm rambling on. (laughs) I'm passionate about this topic. I hear it so much at this point.
3: Blessings, everybody.
1: (laughs) Thanks, thanks everyone. Greetings, Susan Weed. I kept her a couple minutes longer. (laughs) Thank you. Have a great evening.
2: Forbidden archaeology. Forgotten history. Divination. Magic cryptozoology, UFOs, nature, science, and spirit. All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network.